He is glorious. But the Bible says that the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth just like the waters cover the sea. And the way he has planned to do that, the Bible says it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. As we allow Jesus to have his way, to rule, to reign, to guide and to govern and to guard, the world's going to see the glory of the Lord. And guess who Jesus is coming back for? The glorious church, victorious. Amen? Praise God. Well, we need to dismiss any of the children that are still left in here. Um, the fourth through sixth does not need a parent accompanying them. Uh, nursery through third does to sign them in. So let's give them a hand as they go. And why don't you take some time to greet people around you? You know, just like when we have cloudy days or rainy days or stormy days, does that mean there's no sun in the sky? No. It's there. We just can't see it. And sometimes we, we have the same struggle where there are tough things going on in our lives or the lives of those we care about, and uh, we're just not seeing the sun, the Lord Jesus, as clearly as, as he really is. Um, We've been hearing about what God's doing in people's lives, and God is at work in everyone's life. We don't always recognize it. And this morning, I just want to start out sharing with you about, uh, I've been getting calls. I, I get calls from uh, people all over the country that, that either were here and have gone or people that we know, and, and uh, hearing reports of, of how challenging it is, right, to do life. And how there's so much division around. And, and uh, I've been hearing, you know, uh, from families that have called and said, look, would you, uh, you and Debbie be praying for us? And, and we, we do. We pray for folks. And I got a call uh, about a week and a half ago from a family that had been here, had been members, are now in uh, another state. And uh, they had shared with us about how challenging their relationship was with their grown children and how their grown children and i'm not going to use names because that's not necessary but their grown children had um, been very hurtful to them and they didn't understand it they uh, they had always tried to love their kids and do the best they could for their kids and and uh, you know there's no perfect parent but they did the best they knew to do at the time with what they had and uh, we had known then at the time their kids were growing up and they were doing a, a good job. But the enemy had gotten in and had really brought a division and it was really hurtful. They weren't speaking with their two of their uh, adult children. 
And whenever there was any interaction, which was very seldom, it was very aggressive and um, very hurtful. Uh, I got a call from them, and we, we had been talking over, over time, and they, God had been sharing with them about what we're learning here, you know, about love, about unity, and about how unity is, is produced by love. And what love does is it covers a multitude of sin. And when it says it covers a multitude of sin, it's talking about how we enrobe, we envelop, we wrap around whatever sin anybody brings to us in the characteristics of love, which is mercy, uh, tenderhearted kindness, uh, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And, and God was really speaking to their heart, the parents' hearts, that no matter what was going on with their children, they needed to walk out what God had spoken, what God's word says, the principles and the guidelines that God had said. And they weren't seeing any change. And how many of you know that's really frustrating? It's hard to keep going when you don't see any change, right? But we're supposed to walk by what? Faith and not by sight. And so this couple, they were walking by faith and not by sight, continuing to, to align with God and, and bless those that would give them a hard time, like, like we, we know the Bible says. Uh, we learned in Romans chapter 12, if possible, as much as it depends on us, we're to live at peace with all men. We're not supposed to be overcome by evil, but we're supposed to overcome evil with good and how it's the goodness of God that turns people around, uh, leads them in repentance, and how we're to, to bless those that curse us. And, and so uh, in, in conversation, they were just, they called so excited and said, it's happened. God had directed them to bless both their children. They lived in two different cities. God was giving them guidance on how to bless them. They didn't even know if the blessing that God was directing them to give to their children would even be received. That's how difficult these relationships were. But in these two different situations with these two different children, they went to the one in the one city that the child was living in and, and blessed this child, showed up and blessed this child, and it stopped all the animosity immediately in their tracks, they saw their child change. And this child came to the awareness and realization, you love me. You've always loved me. I don't know why I thought what I did and I don't know why I've treated you the way I did, but thank you for loving me. And their relationship was restored. They were reconciled. They went to the second child. And, you know, the enemy's going to lie to you on the way and tell you it's not going to work on this one. And they got there and they followed the direction of God, the blessing that God had for them to give. How many of you know that doing God's will, God's way is better than any other way? And so they blessed this second child who was, they didn't know it, but was in great need in a certain area of, of his life. And they came all prepared without their knowledge of it either to meet the need that this son had without him ever asking. And before he started to talk and they got into it, they said, look, before we do anything, we just want to tell you, we're here to give you this. And again, God stopped this son in his tracks and overwhelmed him with an understanding 
of how much his parents loved him, had always loved him, and how wrong he was for the perspectives that he had. And he said, Mom, Dad, I don't know why, but I, I, I just can't, I can't thank you enough. I, I, I love you, and I am so sorry for what I've done. And I have to tell you, this is not unique. God wants to restore. Dennis shared with us this morning that God is a God of unity. He wants to unite people. And how many of you know if God wants to unite, it's the enemy who wants to divide? And if it's the enemy who wants to divide, he's defeated. We just need to walk out God's plan and God's victory. Amen? Amen. No matter how long it takes, God's going to have his way. We just need to remain faithful and, and in obedience to God and expecting, believing. This was one of the hard things for the, the parents was what they were experiencing, it was very hard for them to believe there would ever be any civil discussion or connection between them and their kids again. And God did exceeding abundantly above all they could ask or think. Isn't God good? God is so good. And I just want to encourage you today that no matter what you're facing, it may be something in another area or aspect of your life. If you and I will just look to God, listen for God, obey God, and continue to track with God, follow God, God will have his way, and you will see his goodness in the land of the living. God is a good God. He is always good. We're going to continue on in, in learning about these things that, that we started to learn about, which is unity, which comes by love. In, in Colossians chapter 3, 14, we looked at this and, and saw that, uh, that we as, as God's people, above all, are to clothe ourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony, or the NIV says perfect unity. Love connects. When you love someone, you're drawn towards them. When someone loves you, they're drawn towards you. When we walk in love, it is, there's a connecting aspect to it. And this love is not just the regular love of, uh, well, you know, I love Fridays because it's the end of the week. Uh, it's, this love is the agape love. It's a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional Serving love. That's what God has done for us. And that's what God has given us. He's, he's flooded our hearts with his love. And that's what we freely receive. We need to freely give. And, and we know that love covers a multitude of sin. And, and how this love covers that sin, what does it surround the sin that others perpetrate against us? They, they do something that damages us, irritates us, injures us, and if we don't do something with that, it's going to continue to irritate and injure and damage us. And what God has for us to do is not react to the person, but allow God to work in our lives and begin to surround whatever has been done to us with love. And the characteristics that we, we looked at in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, and that is that uh, as God's people, we're to, to put on tender mercies, or compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, or gentleness, long-suffering, or patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. So 
we are, are supposed to walk in this love. Those are the characteristics. This is what we surround, those injuries, those irritations that we experience at the hands of other people. We choose to forgive. We choose to be merciful. We choose to be gentle. We choose to be patient. We choose to be humble. We choose to be kind. We choose to, to forgive this person. And, and what that does is it begins to transform what was once meant for evil. Just like we read in the Bible, God will work it for good. God is able to work. Love is able to work this for good. It turns this damaging thing just like an oyster does in a pearl, it becomes beautiful and valuable. I want everything in my life that has injured, that the enemy has meant for evil, I want it to become valuable in my life and beautiful in my life to, to add to other people's lives. And, and this says we're to forgive. Even as Christ forgave others, we must also do. Must. Not if you feel like it. This is, this is one of the commands. This is one of the things we're told. This is how as a Christian, if I call myself a Christian, I'm to walk in this. Now, if I don't, then I'm missing the mark of God and I'm missing out on what God has intended for me to experience as a Christian. And it's not anything other than me saying I'm not going to do it. Because when I look at this, I don't know about you, but when I look at this and I read this and I need to forgive as Christ forgave me and I must do it, at first glance I want to say that's not possible. I can't do that. I know me. But God's not asking me to do this in my own ability, in my own effort. He has come to live in me as a Christian. He's come to live in every one of you. Whoever here has received Christ, the Bible says his spirit has come to dwell in you. And the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now dwells in you to empower you, to empower us to live this supernatural life naturally. It's not something possible for us to try to do it without him, but with him what's possible? All things. And so in this situation, we see this is what we're, we're to do, but we can only do it depending on him, relying on him, obeying him, following him, yielding to him instead of what we naturally yield to and give ourselves to. And we've been looking at this and, and seeing how uh, this applies in, in, in life. And we left off last week, we looked at a, a couple of different scenarios. One was where Jesus was teaching about uh, the prodigal son and his father and how the father had obviously forgiven the son because he was looking for his return and he blessed him. He, he loved him, he blessed him and restored him. And then we began to look at a situation where Jesus was invited by Simon the Pharisee to his house for a meal. And one of the things that we, we looked at was that that meal was, was outside. People would walk by and see, and there was a woman that showed up. And this woman that showed up, most people knew for the life she had lived, which was not a good life. And the Pharisee, well, we'll, we'll look at verse 39 and see what, what happened. It said, now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw him, 
saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him. She began to weep and wash his feet with her tears and dry his feet with her hair and then took very costly oil and anointed his feet. All the things that should have been done by the Pharisee when Jesus got there, not that he was supposed to wash his feet with his tears, but he was supposed to wash Jesus' feet. Any guest in the house was supposed to be afforded these types of care, that their feet would be washed, they'd be dried, and they would be anointed with oil. And none of it was done. It was a real disrespect for Jesus. And this woman comes in, and she begins to do this. And the Pharisee is looking at, at Jesus and the woman. Now, what were Pharisees, what was their job? Anybody remember they were teachers of what? The law. They were teachers of the law. But they also took on the kind of responsibility of being enforcers of the law. And they became very harsh, very legalistic, uh, very, they, they were very detail-oriented. Um, in the Gospels, uh, the Pharisees are often portrayed as arrogant with an air of superiority and self-righteousness. They were quick to judge and uh, when people didn't live up to their expectations. Now, were all the Pharisees that way? Uh, no, I don't think so, but there were enough of them that this became kind of the, the perspective that people had of the Pharisees. And um, Jesus, even in one of his parables, he was speaking to a group of Pharisees, and it says he spoke to these people that had uh, trusted in themselves. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So here were people that set themselves up and were looked at as the optimum of righteousness, of holiness, of law-abiding, and yet they missed it. It's not surprising. We as God's people can miss it, right? But the challenge was that they would look down on anybody that missed it, not owning the fact that they missed it. And, and they were known to be very legalistic. And so this Pharisee, this Pharisee looks at Jesus and said, if he were a prophet, he would know who this is. Now, how, what is his view, his perspective of Jesus? That, that does he have a high perspective, high value of Jesus and who he is? No, he's looking down on Jesus saying, you know, if he were a prophet, he'd, he'd know who this is. As if this guy would know if he didn't have any natural understanding. And then he looks down on this woman, and, and what does he say? What manner of woman is this who is touching him? For she is... Okay, we're going to say it all together. She is... A sinner! A sinner! Was she? Yeah. And here, here is the Pharisee looking at her saying, she's a sinner. Now, there's only one in this group that could say that and have it not reflect on him. As if they're this and I'm not. And that would be who? Jesus. Jesus. But Jesus doesn't call her that. 
And this man distances himself, elevates himself above this person and looks down on this person and says, this is what you are, without ever acknowledging or being aware that he's the same thing. He just does it in a different way. That's kind of what the Pharisees were known for, pointing out everybody else's fault without admitting any fault in their own lives. There are a lot of Pharisees in the church today. And we don't even realize it. You know, it's the same, very similar to the attitude of the older brother with uh, the prodigal son when he returned. He looked down on his brother as if his brother was the only one that ever did anything wrong. And as a matter of fact, he said, I've never done anything wrong towards you, Dad. Which was a lie. Because nobody's perfect except Jesus. And so in this situation, this is what's going on. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, it says, judge not and you will not be what? Condemn not and you will not be Forgive and you will be forgiven. Okay, so we're not supposed to judge. And sometimes people say, well, you can't judge me. Well, understanding that what this word judge implies is that you evaluate a situation, you find fault, and you find guilty without having all the facts. How many of you know in whatever situation you're in, looking at somebody else's situation, you never, I said never, have all the information. You may have a lot of the information. I may have a lot of the information. But the only one who has all the information is who? And he's the only righteous judge, the Bible says. You know, we're, we're rapidly moving towards the return of the Lord. And we as the church are going to be caught up and we're going to be in heaven. We're going to... Stand before Jesus and, and standing before him, our lives and our works are going to be judged, okay? But understand the way God judges believers. He rewards what he can. The Bible says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There are going to be things that we did that he wanted us to do and we'll be rewarded for that. There are going to be things that we did that he didn't want us to do. And we're not going to be penalized, but we're not going to get any gain from it, Okay? So there's that kind of, of situation that God's going to reward. But there are going to be other people that haven't received Christ in their judgment. He, he is not going to judge with partial information. It's full information. And he's the only right judge. And who is Jesus? In John chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus was the... Son of God, but he was the word made flesh that dwelled among us. And I want you to know, the Bible says it's the word that judges you. Jesus himself, the word, will judge us and will judge all people. But right now, it's the word that judges everyone. And, and it's not with condemnation. It's not without information. But when we see something that's going on in our lives or somebody we love, we can go to them and say, hey, you know, not like, you're missing God. This is what his word says. No, that's not the attitude of love. But when we love, we go to that person that we're in relationship with and we say, hey, I don't understand. This is what the word says and it seems like your life is kind of off track from it. 
And they can inform us and help us, or we can help them get back on track. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. But this, this is that judgment that the Pharisees were so often doing and condemning and not forgiving. And we're told here, don't judge, so you won't be judged. We're supposed to judge ourselves. You have a project. Every one of us here, you at home, we all have a project. Husbands, listen up, you guys at home, your wife is not your project. See, I had a better response in the first service. All the wives were like, yeah. <laughs> wives, you have a project. It's not your husband. Christian, you have a project in this life. And it's going to take all of our lives here to do this project, and that project is us. Because the moment we try to change another person into what we think they ought to be, who's the only one that knows who every person is supposed to be? That's right. Many times we want to change them into the image we want them to be, but they remain in the image of God, and so they need to let God change them. Because if we try and change another person and we don't know what they're supposed to actually be changed into, not what we think we want them to be, it becomes manipulation. And God will never honor that. God's given us authority over one person in our lives, and that's us. We have a full-time project in us to change, be transformed the way God has for us to be transformed and changed. And this Pharisee was, was really out of line. And going back to verse 39, uh, we, we saw this last week, but it said the Pharisee who invited him saw that he spoke to himself saying, if this man were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she's a sinner. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. Go ahead. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Now, two owed this, this creditor, one a huge sum and one a portion, a fraction of that sum, and he forgave them both. And then he says to him, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose uh, the one who he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. Now, we know this. If, if somebody forgives you and you've done something monstrous, it's massive, and they say, you know what? We're clearing, clearing the, the slate. And somebody doesn't do much and, and the person says, you know what? I forgive you. When somebody forgives you of great debt... You love them. You appreciate what you've done. You have more com compulsion to be drawn towards them than somebody who hasn't been given, forgiven much. This was the problem with the Pharisee. Pharisee looked at this woman thinking, wow, she's got a lot of sins. And Jesus, even in the last verse of this, this chapter, says her sins are many. But she's been forgiven these sins, and so she has loved much. When we don't recognize 
the massive amount of sin that God has forgiven us of, we don't love much. We don't love God much. And in turn, we don't love others much. Now, you may say, well, I, I love God. You may love God, but when, when we really realize we get a perspective, and many times we just don't want to know. We don't want to be honest with us. That God has forgiven us this massive debt of sin. And yet we can look on another person and see their sin and think, wow, that's hideous. Listen, their sin is no more hideous than yours or mine. Please, please, please listen. Whether it's one or many, and we have had many sins like this woman, forgiven us. When we recognize we've been forgiven this, this way, we love God for doing that because we didn't deserve it. And God freely forgave us. And we'll never look at another person as, wow, they're a train wreck. Because they're no more of a train wreck than you are or I am or was. And in that moment, if we're going to love God because he's forgiven us, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he said, and the second is like it. You can't get disconnect these. What was the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. So our love for God is going to translate into our love for other people. And if we're loving God, we don't have to forgive God of anything, but we're certainly going to have to forgive other people for quite a bit, just like they're going to have to forgive us. And when we walk in love, we walk in forgiveness, we walk in mercy, we walk in kindness, we walk in humility, we walk in gentleness, we walk in patience. We're gracious to people because God has been gracious to us. And that love covers a multitude of sin. That love binds us together in perfect unity, perfect harmony. That love is exactly what those parents did where their children were not acting the way that we would think they should act if we're supposed to bless them. Hello? Who do we want to bless? Those that bless us, right? But Jesus said, if you just bless those that bless you, you're no different than unbelievers if you just love those who love you you're no different than people that don't love god we're supposed to be loving people that don't love us and loving them into the kingdom and and we're seeing right here simon says the one who was forgiven more is going to love more when we get a reality check that God has forgiven us of our sins. We'll never look at another person in sin as disposable, as somebody to be pushed away. There's somebody to be loved, somebody to show mercy to and, and kindness and patience and gentleness. 
humility towards and, and forgiveness. But this is a pervasive problem in the church that we don't have that reference point. We don't keep that reference point very upfront in our lives. Man, God has forgiven me so much. We go on and we think, man, I'm doing pretty well. Look at that train wreck. Oh my gosh, look at what they did to me. And we forget all the things we've done to other people and we don't even know the stuff that have hurt other people. And how do we want to be treated by the people that we've hurt and we've done things to? We want them to be merciful, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving. But we don't have a chance if we're not willing to do that. God's word says if we don't forgive others, we hinder his forgiveness coming to us. And that very aspect keeps us divided. Man, we are running with the enemy. Instead of walking in the light as he is the light. Living this life of love. We're going to go back to where we just read. Judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. Forgiven, you'll be forgiven. Luke chapter 6, verse 39 and we're going to see the rest of the context of what Jesus was saying. He, he, he says, no, 6. Luke check, chapter 6, uh, 37, sorry. Thanks, John. My bad. Can we see all of it? Thirty-seven to forty-two. There we go. So we've read the first first verse, but look what comes after it. This is a familiar verse to many Christians. Give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Now, when do we usually hear this? What's this associated with? When when we have an offering. Many times you hear this quoted. Is this talking about money? No, it's not talking at all about money. You can't get money in this area. Now, what people use it as is it affirms the fact of what we sow is what we reap. Is that a truth? Okay, so yes, this can be applied, but right here it's actually pointing at three things. Judging, condemning, and forgiving. Do you see that? So we don't want to take this out of context. We want to keep it right in where it is. And it's telling us if you give judgment, you'll be judged. If you don't give judgment, you won't be judged. If you give condemnation, you'll be condemned. If you don't give condemnation, you won't be condemned. If you give forgiveness, you'll be forgiven. If you don't give forgiveness, you won't be forgiven. And how is it given? Good measure. What's a good measure? If somebody's going to measure something out, say they're going to measure out some grain for you. Do you want them to just put it right even with the top of the measuring cup? What's a good measure? A rounded one, right? More than what you deserve. 
press down. When somebody presses something down, what are they doing? They're making room for more to fit in, right? So we have more around the top, press down, more can fit in, all right? Shaken together, running over, all right, overflow. So we're talking about more than what you did. Now, if it's good, we want it. If it's bad, do we want pressed down, shaken together, running over? No, but it says it's going to happen in the good and it's going to happen in the bad. We choose what we're going to give this opportunity for this to happen in. And if we judge and don't judge the way God has, which is just according to the word, not condemning, not already sentencing a person, finding them guilty. You know, we, we look at people, love believes the best. Love doesn't demand its own way. Love doesn't count as suffered wrong. This is in 1 Corinthians 13. And we're supposed to be living this love. This church... Resurrection Life Church. God spoke to us in the beginning that the word life means love in full expression. The vision of this church is to know the love of God personally and practically, to grow in that love and to show that love to other people. The beginning of this year, I shared with you what I believe God shared with me about this year, what this year was supposed to be like. Reveal the Son in 2021. Reveal Jesus. Reveal love. But this is what we're always supposed to do. This is what our lives as Christians are all about. So pressed down, shaken together, it'll be given to us. And then he spoke a parable to them and said, can a blind lead the blind? Will they both not fall into a ditch? Now, even Jesus asks obvious questions because he's, he's making them think. And then he reveals the parable. Go ahead. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank in your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. This is, this is an amazing parable. He says to him, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and don't perceive the plank in your own eye? Now, we're, we're, we're looking at, and some translations say splinter and beam or log. So similar things but what's the only difference between what's in the brother's eye and what's in our eye? Size. Exactly. And we need to recognize that what this is indicating is that you may see things going on in other people's lives. But you're not aware of it going on in your life. Why do you look at the speck, small situation or incidents or issue in your brother's eye, but you do what? Not perceive. You don't recognize it, and it's even bigger in your life. 
And just for good measure, he says it again in another way. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck in your eye when you don't see the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. So right here, Jesus, Jesus is saying to them, hey, if you see something going on in somebody else's life, your first step isn't towards them. Your step is towards you and God. Have you ever noticed, whether it's a car or when you get something, all of a sudden you see that same thing everywhere? Yeah. And this is pointing that situation, that occurrence that happens in our lives. You know, we, we bought a car and we didn't see any of them anywhere. And the next thing we know, we're driving around, we see all, they're all over. It wasn't like everybody went out and bought it because we bought it. They were there, we just didn't notice it. But because it was now a part of our lives, we're noticing it everywhere. This is saying what's active in our lives in a big way, we're going to start noticing in other people's lives. But we don't recognize, we don't perceive it in our own lives. And then it says, before you try to remove the speck in your brother's eye, you need to realize there are things you're not aware of, you don't see. You don't perceive it and you don't see it. It says, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. So this is giving us an order. When you start to see something going on in somebody else's life, your first step is towards God with you. God, help me see. Why do we need God's help? Because we don't see it. The Bible says the heart is deceptive above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And yet the word of God says God searches the heart. No one knows the heart of man except for God. You and I don't even know our own hearts. We don't know. God does. We don't. There are things we don't want to know, things that we don't know, and things that we know that we don't want to admit. We're going to be honest, and we can still lie to ourselves. But it says, first remove the plank from your own eye. Does anybody see any challenges with that? Pretty easy, no, no big deal. First remove the plank. This log, this big honking thing in your life that you don't perceive and you don't see. Have you ever had something that you just couldn't reach to take care of or you didn't know was there? What is necessary for that thing to be taken care of? I'm going to wait because I need us all to come to the realization that if I've got something in the middle of my back, can I see it? I may feel something, but I don't know what it is. I don't, I, I've seen people reach back there. My arms don't go that way. You'd have to break it to touch it. But I can't reach it. I can't do anything about it. I can't see it, and I can't do anything about it. So what am I going to need? Thank you. I'm going to need help. 
But in this, this situation, the Bible tells us the, the, the parable that Jesus is saying is, where is it? In your eye. If it's in your eye, you should be able to see it. And you can't. But how many of you want somebody coming over messing with something that's in your eye? I guess you don't have a problem with that. I have a big problem with that. I have been having Debbie help me with just drops in my ears and I've decided I'll do it myself. <laughs> I'm telling you, if Debbie was going to help me with my eye, okay. I'd be nervous about it. I know, you'd be all like, yeah, no worries, go ahead. But in this situation, you've got to have somebody that you're going to trust to tell you something you don't perceive and you don't see. Is that just going to be anybody? You know, right now, the most dangerous people in the body of Christ are people that won't listen to anybody. That won't allow at least one person to tell them something they don't know or they don't believe. As it lines up with the word of God. Bring them something that I don't, I don't, I don't recognize that. I don't see that. Yeah, but... But I love you. You know I love you. I've been, I've been part of your life for many years. I've cheered you on. I've stood by you. I've stood with you. And I'm telling you, there's something going on. Oh, no, there's not. Who is it in your life that can tell you what you don't see and what you don't perceive? Because we all need them. And then we have to trust them with something that is in a very tender place. And it's huge. If you're pulling a log out of somebody's eye, how many of you know that might hurt? Just thinking. Log, splinter. Big hurt, little hurt. Right? And part of this is because when we have somebody come into our lives and help us with something we don't perceive and we don't see, but is actually there, and they begin to take out that thing that needs to be removed, how do we want them to do it? Exactly. Mercifully, kindly, humbly, Gently, patiently. And when that happens, the Bible says, first remove the plank from your own eye. You can't do it yourself. You need help. You need God's help and you need other people's help. Then you will clearly see to judge the other person. Is that what it says? No. To help them remove it. To help remove the splinter, the small thing that's operating or stuck in their eye. And, and after we've gone through what we've gone through, we're going to realize, man, this person that I'm going to, 
they're going to be a little uncomfortable with what I'm bringing to them, just like I was uncomfortable with what people were bringing to me. They may be in pain, and I need to, to be gentle, and I need to be patient, and I need to be kind, and I need to be merciful. I need to be humble towards them. The Bible says when we find our brother that's in sin, brother or sister that's in sin, you who are spiritual in a spirit of meekness, go to them looking to restore them. In meekness, that's gentleness, looking to restore them. We don't see a lot of this. We aren't seeing any of it in the world. We're not seeing it in the church. And this is what the church is supposed to be. It's so important, church, that we, we walk in the love that God has for us to walk in. We endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We don't just push away somebody that's telling us something we don't see and we don't perceive because they may be being sent by God. And, you know, how many of you understand that you don't always get a say in who God sends to you? I guess you don't realize that. But I'm telling you, I, I had a real difficult time at one point in my life where I was, I was looking to learn and... and I started listening to somebody, and before I knew it, I was getting very critical and judgmental. And I said, God, you know, I'll, 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 I'll learn on this subject from anybody but this person. Yeah, just humble me telling God how I didn't want to listen to this person. And every time I would go to study or listen to to a message on this topic, I just couldn't. I knew I, I had to go back and receive from this person. And, and this person wasn't a bad person. They were, they were uh, he was a man of God. He was being used by God in great ways. I didn't like his accent. I didn't like the way he delivered things. And God said, you got to get over what you like and what you don't like. It's not about you. I'll use who I want to use. And there's a reason I'm using this person in your life. Because you have to get over the container. Because it's not about your likes and dislikes. It's about my will. And I'm telling you right now, the church in this hour has to get rid of the consumer mentality. I want what I want. I want it the way I want it. I want it how I want it. That's not the church. That's, that's not Jesus having his way. It's us having our way. And as long as we're in control, God is not. We need to let God have control. And God will use whoever he wants to use. In Psalm 139... Verse 23 and 24, this is David praying, and he says, Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. Is that because God didn't know? 
No, God knows everything. But he's saying, do this so that I'll know. And then he says, make sure that I'm not going the wrong way. Lead me on the path that has always been right. This is why we need God. And God uses people. We need to take time out of our schedules and stop. The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. But there are times that we just need to stop and say, God, search me. In another translation, that's what it says. God, search me and show me. There are things we don't know. We don't perceive and we don't see, but they're active in our lives. We're seeing them in other people's. We want to fix them where we need the fix more than they do. And if we don't stop and turn to God who is love and let God do that transformational work, we're not going to be connected the way God has with him or in the body of Christ. And this is the hour. This is the time you are the church that God is raising up. I'm not talking about just you here or you just listening in. I'm talking about the church on the earth in this day. You are the generations that God is using to reach the nations. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, it's so important that we don't just judge the message or the messenger and say, you know, that was, that was not as entertaining. That was hard. Uh, that, that, was, that was great. Uh, none of that matters. Hard, great, entertaining, boring. What matters is what are we going to do with it? What part of that did God speak to me, to each of us that he wants that incorporation of that in our lives, that adjustment made so that we can stay on track with him. And it begins with the first adjustment. God isn't going to come in and, and work in our lives until we're really inviting him in. He doesn't go where he's not invited he doesn't push himself. And the first place he wants to be invited is to be Lord of your life. To remove the governing of your life from you. To allow him to govern you and guide you and guard you in a way that you could never do. None of us could ever do. And if you have never turned to Christ and trusted in him, handed your life over to him because he gave his life for you. And then as you hand your life to him, he hands you his life, his forgiveness, his righteousness, his cleansing. All, all that he has, all that he is becomes yours because all that you had and all that you were, he took on the cross. I'm going to invite you today, if you have never received Christ as your Lord, to, to pray a prayer of receiving him. 
receiving his forgiveness, repenting, turning around from running your own life and repenting of your sin, and then allowing him to truly be Lord and Savior of your life. And we're going to pray together. And if you've never prayed, I invite you to pray. We're going to pray this together. So let's, let's lift up our voices. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who came into this world, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, and died for my sins. Lord Jesus, I recognize you as my Lord. I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer today here, let somebody know before you leave. And you may say, well, that's kind of a weird thing. I don't know anybody here. And I don't want to walk up to a stranger and say, hey, I prayed. I made Jesus Lord of my life. I will tell you, I believe with everything in me, if you tell a stranger that you did that and they're a stranger today, they'll never be a stranger again. They're going to celebrate what you did today because now you're reconnected in the family of God. If you did it online, uh, let us know. Go to our website, reslifeny.org. Go down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us, we're going to be praying for you even if we don't know your name. But if, if you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. If you want to be contacted, give us some contact information. God is so good. God is doing great things. And we have the privilege and honor of being able to be a part of what he's doing. Amen. Would you stand? Before we dismiss today, and I'm going to pray for you, uh, I, I just want to mention that uh, as a family, we need to keep each other lifted up. And uh, I would ask that you would pray for Mickey Reed, who's one of our elders and her family. Her brother, Mark, went on to be with the Lord. And it's, you know, it's always challenging. Even though we know where they're going, it's always challenging not to have them with us still. And so be praying. Pray for the peace and the strength and the grace and the comfort of God to be with, with Mickey and with her family. Um, also, for those of you that... Uh, God would direct. Uh, there is a service today uh, at 2 o'clock at Greater Grace Church in Utica at 11129 Nye Avenue. So even if you don't go, if you go, it would be a blessing to Mickey and to her family. Uh, but if you don't go, please be praying. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your children, each one of them. Thank you for your presence your spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that, that indwells them, that empowers them, that imparts to them your victory, Lord, your love, your life, your fruit, your gifts, that, Father, we would walk in this world as overwhelmingly more than conquerors, that we would realize and recognize and, and hold fast to the fact that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That, Father, whatever we face, you've gone ahead of us and prepared the way. You're also our rear guard. You uphold us firm with your right hand of blessing, and you cover us with your songs of love, of life and hope and peace and joy, of health, of victory. 
And as we take them in and they begin to resonate in us, we sing these back to you and to all those around us that they would know that you are not only the great God, but you're a good and loving Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.